All right, here we are on Green Room Podcast number 10, and I'm Gabe Legaspi, and this is Pastor Tim Jacobs. That's right. What's happening? Number 10. And we're very excited. There's lots of cool things happening. And if you're on Facebook right now and you're watching us, you know, check in. You can even send us a comment. We'll try to check the feed here. A nice comment. Yeah. One that doesn't bruise the ego. Yeah, too much. Yeah, not too much. A little bit. Yeah, we're handling this live, so we'll do our best. Uh, but we're very excited about all the things that are going on. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's I was looking, day. I'm here on your Facebook page right now, and it, mm-hmm. you were talking about how you're teaching your kids today about 80s glam rock. Maybe you could educate us a little bit about 80s glam rock. Well, Gabe, I would not be the man I am today were it not for the input of, of what's known as glam rock, hair bands, butt rock. Um, these are the types of music that really, um, produced me as a, uh, developed me as a person. As you know, I've been playing guitar for many years. So, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, um, Poison, Skid Row, Warrant, uh, you know, and then the ones I listed there, I mean, Kingdom Come had like one big song, but it was a good, that was a good song. It was a goofy song. So, um, Striper, cause I was a young Christian kid. And then they had, I remember like Holy Soldier was a, was a Christian glam rock band. There's a, I mean, obviously there's like Motley Crue and it just goes on and on. Now, now what classifies, what is glam rock versus just rock in general? Well, you had to have big hair big and hair, gotcha. Aquanet yeah. hairspray, like the stronghold Aquanet. You had to wear some kind of makeup and tight leather. I think that was a bare minimum. Right. You also had to have a Marshall stack. Which, that's an amplifier. And you had to have a guitar that was not a Fender Stratocaster. So like an Ibanez. Like an Ibanez that was like purple or all, um, what do they call it? Like bedazzled or whatever. I mean, glittery, yeah. like a flying V guitar. And then you had to have, and then you had to be able to hit these octaves that would make dogs die. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like way up there and, and basic. And then you just had to kind of overdo. Oh, Great White. I forgot about Great White. But then you had to kind of overdo everything, you know, kind of cheese ball lyrics. And then you had to have a ballad, at least one ballad on every song that was acoustic guitar and then followed up in the middle, like chorus, chorus, um, and, or no, I'm sorry, verse, verse, pre-chorus, chorus. And then you had to come back around again with like a little bit of electric guitar underneath, have to build. And then, and then, right. and then you'd have to have some kind of, and I hate to say it, but some kind of woman, um, there was, you know, either like dancing on the hood of a Jaguar, not that I remember that at all, um, or something like that, that had to be part of your whole repertoire. So eighties glam rock and you know, my favorite, uh, I think fits in this category is, is spinal tap. You know, I think one of the requirements is your amp has to go to 11, 11. 11. Yeah. Yeah. And, and right. And that's right. Now you're a guitar player. Mm-hmm. You've played lots of guitar. Really, um, you you like Fender guitars, but if you had your way, would you be playing a, an Ibanez? Not, no, not anymore. I mean, I like Fenders. I like Gibsons. Um, although I was thinking about getting one of those Schecter guitars um, that you can get. Now, they kind of have the, the glam rock look to them. Um, they're pretty good. But I at this point in my life, I, I've moved on from that. You know, I cut my hair, got rid of the mullet, 
um, and took off the makeup and stopped wearing leather and spandex and That's pretty good. much traded it for what I'm wearing. We'd now. have a hard time growing the church that way. Uh, well, but, maybe not. I mean, well, that might not. actually be, be a, a bonus. Know, it'd be if a, you did it, it would be, it'd be huge. I thought about doing it last Sunday, but we had the Because you are set. the worship leader. Yeah, that's true. And if you came out in leather and spandex and that kind of thing, <laughs> that, that could be interesting. I, I do have a funny story about that, but we'll save it for another time. Now, you played some guitar because last weekend we had our really awesome and fun grand opening. Yeah, so that was an excellent transition, by the way. So Gabe gave me an opportunity to play because you guys were doing blues out there. And what was so awesome, if you missed our grand opening, we have this huge patio area in the front and we haven't been able to do anything with it. And for the first time, we had our, our shade structure. We had these beautiful lights hung up. We had the fan going. And, and then Gabe was out there with the band. They were do, doing blues. They were doing cover tunes and just having a great time. It was, it was probably, and I'm not going to say in all of Phoenix because Phoenix is, is big, but probably in all of Goodyear, there was not a cooler place to hang out. Yeah, it and was that's fun. not saying a whole lot, but it's saying enough because I can't think of a cooler place to hang out in the entire city of Goodyear. Yeah. Yeah, we had all kinds of things going. We had a dunk tank mm-hmm. and all the pastoral staff got in there as there well. Was kids all of our staff got in fun. there. Yeah. yeah we, we had, had Crystal in there. We, we had, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a good time. We had bouncers, uh, not like bouncers keeping people out, but like we the do things, have those. The things that kids jump on, those kinds of things. Right. And, you don't jump on the people that keep people out. Yeah. That would be, That'd be bad. defeating the purpose. But it was, it was a lot of fun. We had all kinds of things going on. Um, and if you you missed it, you you missed out. Yeah. Because we're not going to have another grand opening because that yeah. would be like ridiculous. Yeah. Defeat the purpose. But it was a lot of fun. Now I want to talk talk about a few things. We 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 always try to bring up some topics. Now in staff meeting, we have our staff meeting on Wednesdays. You uh, brought up a verse out of Philippians and you shared a cool thought, and I thought it'd be cool to share that with everybody else. Yeah, I was actually watching a little bit of a sermon from another church the other day, and the guy brought up something that really hit me. And, and it really has to do with the subject of what we might call self-talk or the voices that go on inside our heads. And while I wouldn't, uh, well, we might say, well, you know, no one would really want to admit this per se, but I think most of us, if not all of us, might struggle at times with stuff that goes, the little voices in our head. I don't mean like, like you, know, you need like an exorcist or something, but what I mean is negative self-talk is what I'll call it. Stuff that, that comes in your head that basically piles on in terms of says, you know, doubts, you know, we're saying, you know, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Or even actually almost takes on this dual kind of thing. Like you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You'll never measure up. Don't even try. Everyone can see that you're a fake or a fraud or a failure. And I I wonder this kind of thinking can so easily just kind of find its place in our minds to the point where we've forgotten that it's even there. Like we've invited it in years ago, maybe decades ago, maybe even when we were little kids. And this guy was talking about in the sermon how psychologists say that a lot of these voices or these scripts that we write were formed even when we were little kids. And what's significant about that is that you are not even really, you've gotten so accustomed to these voices that you're not even fighting them. You're not even really, you're just kind of like, listening to them and then, you know, filling your mind with something else like media or a conversation or whatever. But I heard a woman say one time, she asked a great question and I've used it up front at Compass once in a while, but she said, you know, or she said, it wasn't a question. It was a statement. She said, you got to think about what you're thinking about. That's really powerful because it's so easy just to think about things and not stop and go, wait a second. Why am I thinking about this right now? What is behind that? And I think for a lot of us, we need to stop and say, these voices 
that are being said are, are that are running in our heads are not, um, they're not helpful. They're not good. And that's where, um, what I brought up in our staff meeting was in Philippians four, eight and Philippians is one of those books that personally I've read so often. Maybe you can grab it. Yeah. You can read it. But Philippians is one of those books that like, it's kind of the classic Christian new Testament epistle. And like everybody does sermon series on Philippians and everybody reads this four chapters and it's kind of cool and it's really short and it's got all, all this application. And we read it so much that sometimes I think if you've been a Christian for a long time, you read it so much that you almost forget that, um, you almost forget about it. Like it just kind of, you, but when you really stop and say, this is powerful stuff. And so Philippians 4, 8 was kind of the verse that I thought yeah. would be would be a powerful counter to, I think, the negative self-talk that many people have in their heads. So why don't you read that? It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. Yeah. So, so read those words again. Those like, are <laughs> we, are we in an ding, airport or something? <laughs> if you're in that thing, that's our Facebook comments oh, cool. and, and they're, they're kind of coming in. Oh, good. So we're, we've got that going. Uh, it's whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, mm -hmm. whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Yeah. Think about those things. So if it's not true, if it's not excellent, if it's not praiseworthy, if it's not pure, if it's not commendable and those other things, don't think about it. Yeah. So and it's a rubric that you're kind of running yeah, your thoughts through. Yeah. And if all of a sudden, if you thought, you know, and if you just said today or now, or as I'm going through my day, it's one, whatever in the afternoon, mountain standard time. Um, you, you said, I, I really want to take, as the Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means run it through that grid of whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is pure, you know, these kinds of, because these are the things that elevate people. And I wonder too, you know, we talk about art, for example, and I use this illustration or mm -hmm. use this example too. You know, we talk about art and people in society say, well, art is, is, can be anything that you want it to be. And so, you know, you'll draw a straight line and call it art or people will do things that are, um, or make artistic, whether it's movies or books or whatever, and they call it art, but it's, it's not good. It's not pure. It's not commendable. It's not excellent. It's not praiseworthy. It actually degrades and defiles the soul. So for me, when I, even when I, when I view art, when I look at art, I want, I want to be lifted by that. And, and so I know people can have different opinions about that because you want to have commentary on society. You want to tell the real story. You want to sugarcoat things. And I understand that, but there's something about exposing your heart and exposing your mind to that which is excellent yeah. and that which is good and not allowing yourself to be controlled by these, by, by whatever it might be that come into your brain to reinforce these voices that have always been there. So yeah. when you start thinking, well, I can't do this, I'm not good enough and you know, and I'll never be able to make it or, you know, you, you should never have even tried and all these kinds of things that people do. Um, or have going on in their heads to stop that for a minute and say, I'm really going to tell a different story. Because if I can turn negative self-talk into positive, it's not just the power of positive thinking. I think you and I both know yeah. that the Christian life is more than just wishing your way into a better existence. You know, I mean, you don't wish anything. Desire um, or um, desire or discipline, not desire determines destiny. So you don't desire things, you discipline yourself. So you discipline yourself to say, I want to think what God would want to think. And so rather than thinking about things that degrade my soul 
and 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 actually are really are a frontal attack right. on who God has made me to be. So when I hear when I run these stories, these stories aren't from God. This script, this narrative is not from God. What is from God? That you are loved, that you are made in his image, that you are valuable, that you are holy, that you are redeemed, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And in context of that, that again is in Philippians, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, I can't do this. The scripture says, yes, you can. Now, obviously, like in my case, um, I would, I, that would be a bad idea to like try out for the NFL and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Or even just go to a like a um, a restaurant to be a chef. Like I could not do those things. No, I mean no matter what. But the point is, is the things you know in your life that you that are most holding you back, because what's happening is not other people. It's what's going on in here. Right. And the minute we start blaming people, and the minute we start blaming ourselves, we're letting this script run. And it's it's not just it's not just a neutral thing, Gabe. It's not just like well, I probably shouldn't do it. It's wrong. It's evil. It's sinful because it attacks the very nature of God. Yeah, I think uh, you said something this morning where you said uh, things don't happen in a vacuum. Right, right. So, and I thought that was really, really um, powerful, especially in relationship to this. Because I think a lot of times people think that the church and the Bible just talk about what not to do. Mm -hmm. And you can, which is important, what not to do is important to know. But you got to replace it with something. Yeah. And uh, here Paul's encouraging people who are going through difficult times to, to what to think about. Not just don't think about, the, don't dwell in the negative, don't dwell in these. But, yeah. but he doesn't give the negative list. No, he doesn't. He says, here's where your brain should be at. And see, that's, that's an excellent point. You don't just say, I'm not going to think about these bad things. Because you're you going to think about them. You're going to think about it. You have yeah. to replace them and say, wait a second. Because if, rather than say, see, here's the thing. If the negative story, if the negative, if the negative self-talk isn't true, then you say, well, the positive self-talk may not be true either because I'm, I'm really not that great. I'm really, but it's, it's better to at least try to deceive yourself positively. In other words, it's better to say, you know what, I, maybe today, rather than going, well, you know, I feel like I probably, you know, this, this probably isn't going to work out, and I'm probably not, it's, this isn't going to work out either, and these people probably don't like me, and I'm sure she's thinking that, and he's thinking this, all that crazy stuff. No, no, go, you know what, today, I'm going to make some friends. Today, I'm, I'm going to go out, and people are going to appreciate who I am. Today, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be successful in the things that I do. Well, but that may not happen. Well, so what? That's still better than starting off going, my whole day is going to be a failure. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's, we've got to, we've got to deal with these thoughts because no matter how much social media and the access to outside influences that technology allows us to have, we are, we, we still imagine how much your life could change if you could just deal with what is in here. Yeah. So today, think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. And so we have, do we have comments? We do. They're kind of coming in and out. Uh, it's quick, kind of tricky to check your, okay. your thing well, as we can going. move on to a different subject. But but yeah, we've got the deceive yourself positively. Uh, good mm -hmm. stuff. We, we want to talk about a couple of little theological th things as yeah, we kind of move about too. things. Yeah. Um, one of which is a question that pops up pretty often mm -hmm. in the church. Uh, people who are real fearful of... of you know, am I on the right track or this or that or, or, or scared about things? They'll kind of bring up this, this question. Can I lose my salvation? Right. And so to define what that means, in case not everyone knows what that means, um, we believe as Christians that when we, when we come to a place of brokenness and repentance and we say, 
we invite Jesus to basically be our our sin bearer to forgive us and we make that that commitment where we say you know what today I want to turn my life over to you I've got to the end of myself I believe that you've died for my sins I believe that I, I could never stand before a holy God um, and and be allowed into heaven because of who I am and, and I just feel at a, a place of spiritual poverty so I come to that place in my life and and then the fear is when I become a Christian I say okay I'm a Christian now you know I'm I'm, I'm gonna wear that that badge is there something that I could do or say, um, is there something that could happen that could reverse that original decision so that I was saved and guaranteed to go to heaven and a part of God's family and covered by his grace. And then I did something to make that not happen or that to reverse that, to put me back in my original state of sin. Mm. The problem with that view is that it places you in a constant state of worry about something that you do that could put you outside of God's favor. And the ironic thing, Gabe, is that, and you know this, that the people who, who um, believe this the most tend to also be the most legalistic. Because it's kind of like the old story about running the bear. The two guys are out running the bear. Do you remember the, the story? And, the, and it's like kind of a joke. So it's like two guys running, and, and there's a bear coming after him. And the one guy says, um, hey, man, you know, uh, I, I hope we can outrun this bear. And the other guy says, I'm not worried about outrunning the bear. All I got to do is outrun you. And that's what legalism is. And legalism does not allow for community. Legalism does not allow for, for um, transparency. Right. Because I'm always trying to be better than you. I'm always trying to gauge my life and say, am I okay on the little scale of God's acceptability? Because, I mean, somebody, there's going to be people that make it and people that don't. As long as I'm better than you, I'm, I'm okay. So I'm not as bad as the people in prison. And I'm not as bad as the guy that left his wife. And I'm not as bad as, you know, and on and on and on. The right. child, you know, molester or whatever. So we do all this kind of stuff, and then at some point we either feel un, un, uh, uh, what's the what's the word? Um, we're not appropriately. We feel inappropriately too good about ourselves. Like, well, look what I did. I got saved by my own merit, or we we beat ourselves up because oh, I've done something to keep myself out. What we have to understand is what what is the nature of salvation, and the nature of salvation has to do basically. You can see it in Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we have to realize, you, you don't just all of a sudden get like a membership card that can be revoked if you break the contract. You actually move from death to life. See, you couldn't, you couldn't raise yourself from the dead anyway. A dead person can never raise themselves up to new life. It's never been done. But that has to be done by somebody else. So we believe the Holy Spirit raises a dead, a dead person whose spirit is dead, spiritually dead, to life. Right. That was an act that you had nothing to do with, okay? You, you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now you've become a new creation. So it's like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, and then the butterfly worried that it's going to turn back into the caterpillar again. It doesn't happen. It can happen. There's no way it can happen. Now that being said, the, the obvious response then from people, which may be even coming in on, on comments, is, what about the person that made a commitment when they were five years old or seven years old or 10 years old or even 20 years old? They prayed a prayer at some service and then, there's, and then they backslid or they went out and they, they, you know, they're an alcoholic or they went out and did all these bad things and they don't even care about God today. Are they still saved? Doesn't that seem like, like grace is cheap at that point? Like all you got to do is recite some words. And that's where I think what's really important for people to understand is that we take becoming a Christian extremely seriously 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not just, oh, well, I, I wanted to get fire insurance, and so I just said some words on a Sunday morning in a church just to make sure that I was covered, but I had no intention of actually making Jesus the Lord of my life. I had no intention of actually following him. I just wanted to basically get the membership card. So if you treat salvation like a membership card, you will be constantly in fear of losing it because it's not what it is. Right. You, so now we say, what about kids? Okay. So like, for example, uh, and I'm just really flat out honest with this. I'm not impressed. Like even with my kids, when my, when my kids were little and it's like, oh, you know, um, Ryan or Cambria, they were like three or five years old. You know, they, they said they accepted Jesus in their heart. I go, Hey, that's, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, but I did that. Was I crying? Was like, oh, thank God. Now I know for sure they're going to heaven. No way. They're five years old. I, I mean, I, I, I want to I wanna hope that, that however they could respond to God at that point, they did. But a lot of times in their minds, it's like if there's a donut involved or if mom and dad are going to be proud of me. Right. Those are drivers. They're not bad drivers, but they're drivers. Now, here's what happens with a five-year-old kid. That five-year-old kid becomes 10 and becomes 15 and becomes 20. And with each stage, dimensions of life open up. Okay, so like sexuality and um, disappointment and realizing that you're not going to, you know, go to the moon unless you're an astronaut and all these things. And all of a sudden it's like, (laughs) okay, well, this is real life now. Is God still God? And there's a very important verse in Second Peter chapter one where he says, make your calling and election sure. And what I think that means is don't worry about whether or not you're saved per se, like What it means is you need to understand that that I live my life constantly putting Jesus first, and 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 I do need to ask myself when life issues happen. You know, is God still God? Because honestly, the the so the guy. So when someone said, "Well, I was five years old," because I've had this happen a lot. Well, I'm 25 now, and I I became a Christian when I was five, but I backslid. And I go, backslide? You you. You never were. You never, if if you've never any fruit in your life, now is the time to make that commitment. Now, I do think there are times of people that that really have a solid commitment and they may go astray a little bit. Um, But I don't think that those people, if if they really have turned from death to life, if they really have become Christians, I think that there are people that are capable of incredibly terrible sins. Yeah. But yet the blood of Jesus still covers them. And I believe that there is redemption still there. There has to be. Otherwise, the blood of Jesus is rather useless. That's what I I think is the main point here. Is there something that you can do to nullify the cross? That puts an awful lot of power in your your hands. It does. It does. Great point. So there's there's nothing. What is salvation hinging upon? Mm -hmm. Is it upon what you can do? Or is it it upon your faith in what Christ has done? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of the key question. So if you're like, man, I'm, you know, you're scared because you're, I'm going to lose my salvation because I'm, I'm addicted to this or I struggle with this or I do this or am I really saved? Um, we live in a fallen world, and you're gonna. I, I hate to break it to you, you're gonna make mistakes today. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> today, and that's 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 why we live in worship and response to the cross. You know, there's things in this life that, that, yeah, we, we are a new creation. We're still in the fallen world, but we're a new creation. And, and God is changing and shaping new desires, you mm-hmm. know, and new things. But it's, it's the work of the cross, not what we can do or what, you know. 
Other, otherwise, it's not really that effective of a faith. Yeah. It's kind of sad because it does depend on me. And I want to go back to the kid thing for a minute too because I think what's really important is, yes, when our children make public professions or, or verbal professions of faith, like I want to follow Jesus, I think it's wonderful and we should celebrate that and we should reinforce that. But here's my concern. I think that parents go, okay, well, this is cool. Little Johnny became a Christian when he was five. So now I don't have to really worry as long as little Johnny just becomes an upstanding citizen. And I really have a problem with that because I know for, for us, it's been like, okay, little Johnny, or in our case, little Ryan, little Madison, little Cambria became a Christian um, or at least prayed the prayer when they, were, they responded to God at this young age. I want to make sure they respond to God when they're 12. I want to make sure they respond to God when they're 15. So what I have to do as a father and she has to do as a mother is make sure and continually guide them so as life continues and their world expands, the central guiding force remains to be Jesus. And so I, there is tension there. There is Now, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that if any of my children were to pass away today, I am confident that they would be with Jesus. But not because, and this is where it's going to get a little bit weird here, not because of this, of this age of accountability. I, I think that, that there's an understanding of innocence, but at the same time, I see, no, I see no clear age of accountability in the Scripture. And so I know this, though. I know that, that um, and I really like what Wayne Grudem says about this, that even in the womb, a child can respond to his mother, right? So a child can, can you know, sense the, the mother. That's what they say. Right. Well, well, could not the child still res, um, sense and, and feel and know the love of God? So at what point do you, at what point are you, you have an awareness of, of the love of God? You say, well, they don't understand any of that stuff. Well, not so fast. They understand at their own level. So again, now that being said, that opens up the picture. Well, are you saying that all babies aren't saved? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that is that in Scripture, when there's a child that is lost, there is never once a command to worry about the fate of that child. You are not to do that, that you are to trust God, that he created that child, that he loves that child. And I would tell any mother right. who's lost a child through like a miscarriage or anything else, that, that you need to trust without a doubt that you will see that child again. And that, that that child is with God. And you don't, need to, I don't, I, you don't need to worry about that at all. You're not called to worry about that. You're called to continue to love and trust God. And you, have find, you need to find peace and hope. I would right. never say anything to, 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 about that. However, we also need to have a little bit of sobriety here when it comes to our children as they age and not make these assumptions that just because I take them to church and just because they prayed a prayer and just because they responded back in 2009 that, well, I know, you know, I know if something were to happen. So do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. that way there's an impetus to say, okay, not that we freak out about it, but I want to keep training my child. I want to keep explaining to my child. I want to keep, so when the questions come up, because a six-year-old child is going to go, so tell me like, why is Christianity different from um, Islam and Hinduism? And what about evolution? Six-year-old child ain't asking that. 13-year-old kid is. And so you better be able to help them navigate. That's all I'm saying. As their world expands, help them keep the focus on Jesus. And then at the end of the day, like I said, we just trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but a new creation is the key. And I want everyone at Compass and anyone else who might be listening to understand that Christianity is not, a, not about do's and don'ts. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. As Ravi Zacharias says, right. what does he say? He made it make dead people alive. Yeah. He that's, came that's, to make dead people live. 
That's what, so we are, we are all spiritually dead. That by the way, keeps me from becoming arrogant. I don't walk around going, well, my religion is the only right one. Cause I'm better than you. No, I go, I, I'm the same as my Arab brothers and sisters, as my African brothers and sisters, as my South American brothers and sisters. We're all born into sin. Every single one of us, myself included. And by the way, the church is growing very rapidly in those parts of the world as well. Yep. So no, let's not make, let's not make the assumption that it's only Christianity is only an American religion. It's very rapidly becoming a religion of Asia right. and the, and the global South as well. So, didn't start in America either. <laughs> no, actually, if you, you know, it didn't, <laughs> if you know your history a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully that does that, I think we kind of covered that. Yeah. I well. think there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, uh, the justice of God is, is really important. And I remember I was having a conversation with somebody just recently and he's like, I just have a hard time putting my hat in with the, the identity of Christian because then I'm condemning other people. I said, well, is, mm. is truth, is truth obligated to relationships? Right. Is it true just, just because we want it to be true or is it true regardless of what that person believes? What I, you know, if I, mm-hmm. if, if I like, I know gravity exists and this guy doesn't believe in gravity and I, I don't want to offend him. So I'm not going to claim that, gra- but gravity exists whether we think it does or not. Sure. And so you have to, yeah. you have to contend with those things. And, and, but he, he was almost saying, you know, like, am I condemning people? And I, you know, these are people who, you know, they, they want to do what's right. They want to do, you know, I said, you know, we don't, it is by faith that people come to know mm-hmm. God and we have to just trust that God is good and, and that God has made a way, not that everybody's, we're not universalists because that's not the truth that's right. in the Bible, but we also know that God is just. And we have to let that sit sometimes because we don't know how things work out. Yeah, he, you know? God is just. The other thing with condemnation that I would, I would push back on is we're, we're nowhere called to, to condemn no. at all. Um, in fact, um, the Bible says in John that God did not uh, send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world condemnation and here's here's the other thing about it condemning is something that everybody does yeah see i'm saying there's this idea that only christians condemn and and again that's that blinders that that a relativistic which is a condemnation itself you know which is a condemnation (laughs) you guys are the only ones who condemn so i condemn you for condemning exactly right but there will i mean you can be how many times if you don't if you're not with with you know if you don't believe in global warming dude you are condemned if you don't believe that all religions are basically the same, you are condemned. If you don't, there's all these secular, I mean, we, we, have, a, we have a society that loves, it's, by the way, it's called shaming now. Yeah. It's not called condemning because it's still kind of a bad word. It's called shaming. I'm going to shame you. And it's, in other words, I have a justifiable right to tell you you are wrong. And it's so incredible how these things that are just the same thing repackaged in a little more of a palatable way so people won't realize how destructive they really are. Right. It's not me that condemns. By the way, I think people by their own actions, what does the scripture say? They condemn themselves. So if you sit there and say, well, I'm without sin, you know, that's... You have the right to do that. God gives you the right to say that. But the problem is when the tape is rolled, there's going to be an objective problem that you're going to have to deal with. I know that I would have that problem as well. That's why I said I don't, I don't um, think that I'm a good person. I think that I, I was designed to be a good person, but I have the virus of sin and I've been made clean because of the blood of Jesus. I mean, that's what I rest on. I don't have any other ego um, in terms of in terms of my own sense of righteousness. Right, and any goodness, I, I and I've heard you say this, and I I feel the same way. Any goodness that's in me is because of Christ. 
Right, because I know what I'm capable of without him. Yeah. And I know that if I thought this was all there is, um, and then maybe other people would say, no, I'd be an upstanding citizen and then just go into the ground and become nothing. Or that God would somehow just understand, you know, like some kind of pushover grandma or something. Yeah. So no offense to pushover grandmas. All right. So I think we, we, we covered that. I also wanted to talk, I've, I've been reading a lot uh, yeah. recently about liberal theology. Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting stuff in, in that. Um, it's old. Some people think it's new. When we say liberal, we're not liberal. necessarily referring to like politically No, it's liberal. not political. It's, it's the idea. Um, I, and here's the problem. I think the problem is the language sounds better in that camp because liberal sounds free and awesome and, yeah. and, and good. It's for freedom. The crisis says free. And they'll, they'll use that language. It's really the idea that our freedom is the, the main thing and we can um, basically the authoritativeness of the Bible. The Bible's not necessarily it's, – it's important and it's good. But um, mm-hmm. science, um, reason, our own objective morality, and basically us, we determine what, what is important, basically. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is just kind of a, a useful guideline or tool. And this is kind of a view that popped up, uh, I think, with Immanuel Kant. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's over 100 years old at this point. Way over know? 100 years old, yeah. yeah. So we, we, but we're kind of feeling the, fact, the effects of it since the 1900s into today. And it's very interesting as I was reading about it, um, just how we still see little effects of it in the church today, even if we're not full-blown claiming we're liberal theologians. Yes. But we wrestle, we wrestle with it in, in small ways. Yes. So I thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit, uh, what that looks like and, and when maybe little flags should raise and we should, we should grapple with things. Yes, that's an excellent point. And I think the reason why they wrestled with it back then and we wrestle with it today is this one fundamental idea. And that is this. Everyone has to have a starting point. Yes. Here we and go. that's the key. So the problem is, as you said, when the starting point is science, then I only trust the Bible as it follows science. Now, you can, you can do that. But you have to be honest that you do that. Yeah. You can't say, well, I follow the Bible, but when the Bible contradicts science, I have to go with science. Then you have to be honest enough to say that science is your God. And when you do that, because it, it is the fundamental, um, you know, kind of a priori, this is where you start. Yep. And when you do that, um, you then have to evaluate, is science a good God? The other thing that you, you, you listed is reason. Yeah. You know, so like Martin Luther, I think it's Martin Luther called um, reason the devil's whore. And you know, <laughs> tell me how you really feel. Um, but it, but it was a lighthearted it's guy. Not, it's not, it's not that reason <laughs> is bad. It's that, it's that when reason becomes the central figure and then the Bible submits right. to my idea of reason, I have been seduced by my own um, kind of understanding in such a way to put myself over. So I'm 42 years old. And I say, well, in my 42-year-old mind that has lived in this part of the world in this particular time of history, I, my, my understanding supersedes anything else. So that's what reason can do for you. And so when, when you have a biblical, the, the, what, what the difference between liberal and, and you know, non-liberal in this case or 
conservative, orthodox or, or whatever, orthodox. is that the Bible yeah. is always the central thing. So one of the things that you could say is that there's a difference between scripture, or I should say science and nature and scripture and theology. So this is a little heavy. Yeah. Um, but if you have science and you have nature, science is the study of nature, right? And theology is the study of scripture. So you, you, you derive, con- when you study scripture, you derive conclusions about God and the world and man and Jesus. And that becomes your theology from your interpretations of scripture. Science is the interpretation of nature. So nature is what is, what we can see, we can understand. And so I take nature and I interpret, I make interpretations and that becomes science. So here's the thing. When, when, when science contradicts scripture, I side with scripture because science is an interpretation of, of nature. Okay. But when, but when theology contradicts nature, I side with nature. Does that make sense? So when, with, if my, because the, my theology might be bad. So because if, if you're going to, I'll explain that a little bit more. Yeah. Unpack that. A little unpack. Bit. Okay. So scripture is never going to contradict nature. Never will. It will contradict science at times because that is the interpretation of fact of, of, right. of observations and everything else. Scripture will contradict science at times because by the way, have you seen a science textbook from the 1960s? When you open a science book, does it say first copyright, first print, 1948? No, because they don't. They they know something different now. And yeah, they build off it, but a lot of things they believe 50 years ago they don't believe anymore. Right. So, so, so what I can observe is never going to contradict scripture. But my interpretations of scripture may be wrong at times. I may read scripture and go, well, I think that God's trying to say this. That may violate nature. That may violate what actually is true. For example, there are people who would believe, based on interpretation of scripture, that you sh- that, that interracial couples should not get married. And they, build, they can build a theology around that. And they can look from the, they build, they look at... Um, We'd be in trouble too, the two of us. Yeah, we would be, yeah. big time. Especially you, because yeah. you're a product of one. And, yeah. you know, all my kids are. But, but, that's, but that's a theology that was developed from, a, from a, uh, an interpretation of Scripture based on God's choosing of Israel and keeping, you know, the line um, set and that kind of thing. So they, they derive a conclusion that builds a theology that interracial couples are bad. But that just but that violates nature because nature is man and woman. Nature is is the the, the observable beauty that can come from two people who love each other regardless of their race. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So in that case, I look at nature and go, man, I think my theology's screwed up here. Like this doesn't this this doesn't jive. So in that sense, um, and I kind of took your question and went off the rail a little bit. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. But what I'm saying is, scripture always has to be the foundation. Yeah, and I think. Even you using the term scripture makes an inference of where we hold the Bible. Yeah. So, so I think really the major difference is, do you believe that scripture is God's word? Or, or not. Or not. If it's not, then yeah, empirical evidence, reason, what you can see and measure, you're going to let that be your first primary focus. Your interpretation of that. So, so Your interpretation but, of what you can see. Right. And, and the problem is that people, they will use science and nature interchangeably. Absolutely. And you've got to realize that Absolutely. science is just that. It's an interpretation of nature. And it has a worldview sometimes within, not all science, mm-hmm. because science is a broad, that's the other thing. Some people say, I believe in science, and they, they, they believe in a very particular thing that they're, they're claiming, but they're claiming the whole thing. And almost and, as if you're against them, you don't believe in studying nature or any of those things. But what does science allow you to do? If you say, if you put the flag in and you go, I believe in science, 
that ultimately leads to a worldview where you get to be right. God. Because you're measuring and you're... Because it's all yeah. up to you. Because science doesn't really have any moral argument to it. It's just, it just tell, it just, my interpretation from science is that there's no God. So therefore I live my life based on that. But again, you, may, you raised an excellent point. And the key difference is, is, is scripture, so, when, so now let's bring it over to like moral issues. So you say, well, okay, I believe in, uh, I believe in the Bible, but the part about um, not engaging in sex with someone who's not my spouse, that part I don't agree with. Yeah. Okay, well, I didn't know it was up to... So what they've done at that point is they said some other value has to take place. And usually that value is culture. Yep. So now culture becomes God. Now it's okay if you want culture to be God, but you have to be honest and say, the Bible is no longer the definitive authority of my life. Culture is. Because what you've done is you've said, right. I'm going to subordinate scripture to culture. And I think that's, again, that's what a lot of Christians do. And so they're Christians, uh, maybe, but they subordinate scripture to culture and to social structures that they've built around them, such as their friends and everything else. Same thing with same-sex marriage, okay? So we talk about that and, and say, well, you know, we have to realize that the Bible has to adjust now to, sh to, to what? To fit culture. So who is God? Yeah. Culture. But by the way, biology, nature has a lot to say about same-sex relationships a lot to say about it and yet we ignore those things we ignore nature in favor of culture yeah and that's what's happening now and we see a lot and by of the that. way is that judgmental to say that it's not judgmental it's just accurate yeah. nature is being ignored in fact we know this is actually true when they when I, we talked about the definition of cisgender cisgender is is your gender according to your nature. That is the Berkeley definition, according to your nature. So all the other types of gender identifications, by definition, are against nature. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's an interesting world is. we live in, but I think one, one point I'd like to make is this is not new. No. This is, I mean, it was Augustine, right? Said, uh, faith before reason. Mm -hmm. And he was using that as, not only the argument for why it's logical to go, I'm going to believe in something and then I'm going to reason around it, but really to point out that that's what we do regardless. Yeah. So if your view yeah. is, is well, this is sci science here and this, that, that's a faith assessment. Mm -hmm. And then you're using reason to come and support whatever faith. So you're going to stake your claims somewhere in what you believe because there's things we, we cannot measure. Yep. And, yep. and that's that's true of everything. If, if you're going to only live by empirical evidence, you're in a lot of trouble because there's so many things we can't measure. Mm -hmm. um, if I asked you to measure how much you love your kids, you know, you, you couldn't do that. You can't do it. You, you can't measure. There's a certain point where mathematics breaks down, where, where empirical evidence doesn't measure up. And by the way, did you see the movie Sully? It's a great movie. That, no, not yet. That is actually, I don't want to give it away, but what you yeah. just said... Um, the, the entire theme of the movie is the human element right. that is the thing that cannot be reproduced. It cannot be uh, 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 broken down in, this, in a scientific way. And, and it, it, tell, it ends up telling the wrong story. So anyway, so yeah. yeah. Every Good. claim has, has some sort of belief. Yep. Even those who claim to be uh, liberal Christianity, even still claims the Christianity. But the, the difference is... Where does the authority come from? And the authority is at the it, end of the day lies with the person. Is it with scripture or is it with the person with reason and, and yep. things like that? And we yep. can see subtleties in that 
here and there. It's very interesting. It is. Well, we're about out of time. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining Went fast. in. Went by real quick. Oh, yeah. we got a question here. Uh-oh. What about how interpretations of Scripture can vary as a result of different cultural values? Absolutely. So that's exactly yeah. the same thing. Um, but whoever asked that question is a great question um, be, because interpretations of Scripture do, do vary. So what we need to do is come together and say, which is the one that makes the most sense, given what we can observe, given nature, given what works, um, and, and given what seems to make sense. So, um, you know, there, there are all kinds of interpretations. of And one of the ways to check interpretations is measure them against, you start very small. So if you read a verse and it's messed up, or you, not messed up, but you go, wow, this seems like an interpretation that I'm going to take that's, that's different. Does it fit with the rest of the context around it? Right. And then does it fit with the chapters around it? Does it fit with the book? And then finally, does it fit with everything else that's said in the New Testament? This is why, for example, you know, there's other beliefs about, you know, uh, there's some groups um, like the Mormons will do uh, baptism for the dead. And they'd get that from one verse. And, and yet when you go into the context of that, you see that Paul is never telling you to baptize, do a baptism for a dead person. Um, the, the logic we can get derived from Scripture is that there are people who would not even want to be baptized if they're dead. They don't want to be with God, so why would you force them into that kind of a thing? So there's things like that. Then it goes back to the whole concept of salvation as well. Why do we even, um, what's the use of even living for God if, my, if I can sign a contract to have my grandchild get baptized when I die, so I'll just live like a crazy guy now? So there's stuff like that <laughs> that, that, you know, but again, it's got to, so yes, there are cult, different cultural interpretations, and there is a sphere of orthodoxy there, that there can right. be kind of a box. And and I think too, you know, just because we say scripture first, and you know, was it sola yeah. scriptura? You know that that whole concept doesn't mean we don't take into account other things. We just use that as the it's big authority. Everything is subordinated to that. To that, but we still use reason. Absolutely, we still use reason's uh, a tool. History. We yeah. still you you know we look at the church history and go, you know, if you've got some weird interpretation that's never been thought of before. You might need to look at things and go, maybe I might be off on this. You know, like, and we're not afraid of facts yeah. either. There's no, there's no fear of the facts. Yeah. It's sometimes the other side that wants to say, oh, you know, don't bring up this fact, don't bring up that. And there's no, there's no, there's no fact that I'm afraid of. The interpretation is what we take issue with. Anyway, we probably got to wrap it up. Yeah, we got to wrap it up. Though, Thank you so much for uh, for tuning in. Again, we try to do this every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. And we're going to try to make it at 1 o'clock. So if you want to tune in on Wednesdays, 1 o'clock, every other one, so not next Wednesday, because you guys got to get to work at some point, right? So uh, thanks again, and we'll see you the Wednesday after next. Yep, see you.